Aaron Rodgers came out of the womb, and the doctor held up a young Aaron Rodgers, and the doctor didn't say, oh, it's, it's a boy. He said, oh, look at this. This baby was born to torment fans of the Chicago Bears franchise. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. So the Packers had their snow game on Sunday night. That was nice, right? Playing the Titans under the lights at Lambeau Field. They won, hung 40 on Tennessee, and Mike Patton's defense stepped up, played really, really well, and we talked about that game yesterday. Snow game. There are very few snow games, and we're really lucky whenever we get them. Now, the Packers had their snow game on Sunday. I'd like to think that we are going to have our snow show tonight. Like, this is our moment. Prime time, 4 to 6 p.m., doing nothing but talking Wisconsin sports under the lights in the snow. Right as the snow's falling down outside right now, we're going to get a bunch of snow hopefully tonight. Hopefully. I love it. I uh, look forward to uh, leaving work tonight after the show and going out, and Carl probably get hit by a snowplow. Wonderful. Packers had their snow game on Sunday. We're having our snow show tonight. And I'm hoping, like the Packers on Sunday, we excel and we have an amazing show tonight. I. I High hopes about tonight's show with the snow falling outside. It's kind of been the energy this week. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I am so glad you are here. I hope your week is coming along nicely. I'm not going to lie. Much like last week, I can't wait for this week to be over. Not because I don't love doing the show. Love coming to work. I love talking about the Packers and the Bucks and the Brewers and the Badgers every single day. I, I love my job. But I'm very excited for this week to wrap up. Uh, obviously for New Year's. Not because I'm celebrating. Um, that has nothing to do with the pandemic. That's just because I'm lame and I, I like staying inside anyways. But on Friday, I'm hoping to make my ice fishing debut for 2020. And then fly fishing season opens up on the 1st. So Saturday, I'm hoping to do that. So this this weekend is really, really shaping up well for me. Ice fishing on Friday, fly fishing on Saturday, Packers hopefully locking up the one seat on Sunday. This is turning into a hell of a week for me. So it's, it's not that I don't love doing the show, but I'm very much looking forward to the end of this week. I hope your week is coming along nicely. We're going to talk about a lot of different things tonight. I'm very, very excited. I couldn't help but smile today as I'm writing down some notes and, and some bullet points to talk about. Whenever I'm smiling, getting ready for a show, it's, it's typically going to be a pretty good show because that means I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. And when I'm excited to talk about Big Ten basketball or A.J. Dillon, that, that means our conversation typically is going to be pretty good. I want to talk about Big Ten basketball coming up at 450. I, I, I have an argument to make, and there are probably people out there that are more qualified to make this argument, college basketball reporters. I think of our great friend uh, Zach Heilprin from the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. He comes to mind. He'd probably be more qualified than with I. With this Wisconsin Sports Zone Network yes. update, I'm Zach Heilprin. Exactly. I'm going to make an argument coming up at 450 that this is the second best era of Big Ten basketball right now at this moment that we are living in in my lifetime. Uh, the golden age of Big Ten basketball was about 10 years ago, and I will lay that out for you and explain to you what I mean. I think we're really, really lucky, and the Big Ten is in a really good spot right now, and I think when the Big Ten's in a good spot, college basketball is in a good spot. So we'll talk about that before 5 o'clock. Other than that, a tiny bit of NBA, but mostly Packers today. We're going to hear a little bit from A.J. Dillon uh, and his victory press conference. He talked about his experience with COVID, and it was a fascinating breakdown of the last couple of weeks and months of his life. So I'm excited to talk about that. I want to talk about the Chicago Bears. But first, I thought we would talk about the NFC playoff scenarios, right? Don't get me wrong. I, I, I care about the AFC too. 
Um, but I mostly want to talk about the NFC. And I thought because we celebrated so much yesterday, we, you know, we praised Mike Pettin. And we, we, you know, lumped praise on Aaron Rodgers and talked about how he's probably going to be the MVP. I thought today's show should be more formal. We're a serious show. All right. I feel like we need to get down to brass tacks today. No messing around. We're going to have a great show, but it, no messing around. Much more business-like today than yesterday. Yesterday, we were basically just celebrating. I want to start by going through the NFL playoff picture through 16 weeks. Obviously, there's one more game this weekend. 16 games, one by week, 17 weeks. So through 16 weeks, the playoff picture looks like this. Let's take a little status check. Take temperature of the room so we know what we're getting ourselves into this upcoming weekend and then in the postseason beyond. The NFC right now, there are four teams that have clinched a playoff spot. The Packers, the Saints, and the Seahawks, and the Buccaneers. Now, the Packers, Saints, and Seahawks have all clinched their division. The Buccaneers haven't clinched their division because the, the Saints clinched the NFC South, but the Buccaneers have locked up a playoff spot. Now, all that is left to be decided is the final three wildcard spots because, remember, the postseason's expanded this year. So, in the NFC, we have the Packers, the Saints, the Seahawks, and the Buccaneers locked up. Now, the Packers, the Saints, and the Seahawks all have a shot at the one seed. The path is easiest for the Packers, next easiest for the Seahawks, and the Saints need some witchcraft to happen in order to make it happen. I'll I'll explain that. The AFC, the Chiefs have locked up a playoff spot, as have the Bills and the Steelers. Those are three division champs. So the Chiefs have clinched their division and clinched the first round by and home field advantage. The Bills have clinched their division and the Steelers have clinched theirs. Now we just wait on the AFC South. The NFC teams that are still alive there are four teams that could potentially slide into these three remaining wildcard spots. The Rams, who are 9-6. and six, The Bears, who are 8-7. and seven, The Packers' opponent this week. The Cardinals, who are also 8-7. and seven, And then the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys. They're both 6-9. and nine. Those are the next closest teams, right? The, the, the rest have been eliminated. Washington, Dallas, and New York, of course, are all right there because the AFC East is, or the NFC East is, is garbage. It's terrible. The AFC has a couple of teams still alive as well. The Titans, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Browns, and the Colts. All battling it out for three spots, all at 10 and 5. 10 and 5. I guess it would be four spots because three have clinched in the AFC. We're waiting for the final division champ from the AFC South and then two more wildcard teams or or three wildcard teams to make it seven. Titans, Dolphins, Ravens, Browns, and Colts, all at 10 and 5. The Browns picked a terrible year to start winning and being a legit organization because the AFC is stacked at the top. I think the Bills and the Chiefs are both really, really good. And I think it's stacked in the middle as well, that next year of teams. The Titans didn't look it on Sunday, but the Titans are a legit team. The Dolphins are really, really well coached. The Ravens, well, we know about the Ravens. They just had some bad luck this year. The Browns can pound the football and the Colts are a really smart team, even if they're quarterbacked by a a shell of Philip Rivers, what used to be Philip Rivers. Now, here are the scenarios for the final couple of spots. Once again, I don't want to dwell too much on the AFC because we're talking about the Packers, the Bears, the Vikings. These are the scenarios. Now, let's talk about the wild card spots. The Rams could clinch with a win or a Bears loss. The Rams are kind of in the driver's seat. The Bears could also clinch with a win or a Cardinals loss. So the Bears in charge of their own destiny as well. Cardinals just need to win and they're in. That plain and simple. So Rams, Bears, Cardinals, if, if, if any of those teams win, they're in. Now, there's only two spots, so that might sound confusing. That's because the Rams and the Cardinals are playing each other. So the winner of that game is going to go in, and if the Bears get in, it's because they beat the Packers this weekend. Now let's talk about home field advantage. Home field advantage and the one seed. The Packers clinch with a win. They are in the driver's seat. They control their own destiny. 
They could also clinch with a loss and a Seattle loss. Seattle is the team that's on their heels. If the Packers lose and Seattle wins, Seattle slides into that spot. Now, the Saints, it's it's a little bit messier. The Saints need to win, and they need everybody else to lose, which pulls the NFC into a three-way tie. Now, mathematically, there's no way for the Saints to overtake the Packers because there's not enough games. The best the Saints can do is tie the Packers, and the Packers have the tiebreaker. So it's not going to work out for the Saints unless there's a three-way tie, in which case that tiebreaker no longer means anything, which is kind of messed up, but I guess makes sense. So the Saints need to cheer for madness. They need to cheer for everybody to lose. The Saints need the Seahawks and the Packers to lose, and a Saints win. Then everybody pulls within a three-way tie, and the Saints are back in the ring. Seattle Seahawks need a win, plus a New Orleans loss, plus a Green Bay loss. Here's the moral of the story. Packers win. They're the one seed. Now, the NFC East, these situations are fascinating. Washington football team went in there in. Cowboys clinch with a win plus a Washington loss. And the Giants can clinch with a Washington loss and a win as well. Kind of a messy scenario in the NFC East. I Before we get into the Packers and more important things, why was the Washington football team versus the Philadelphia Eagles, why was that flexed to Sunday night football? I understand that game could d- decide the division. I, I understand that. I just don't care. I don't care who wins that division. None of those teams are any good. It's like the NFL wants to find the most relevant game, the most meaningful game. Well, if the most meaningful game is between two bad teams, I I don't want to watch it. I would rather watch good teams. It's like, oh, let's get Washington. They're fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, so were the Milwaukee Brewers at the end of the year last year. Didn't mean I really wanted to watch them, right? I don't know. I, I get you're going for the playoff matchup. You're going for relevancy. I would rather just watch good teams. Washington, Philly, flex to Sunday Night Football. I don't want to talk about the NFC East because I don't really care. I want to talk about the Packers. Home field advantage, a first-round bye, and what it means. They just need to win, just like last year. Remember when they were playing the Lions last year? Win, and they're the two-seed, and they have the the first-round bye. Now, there's only one first-round bye this year, so the Packers need to get the one-seed, but it's the same idea. Win this week, and you got to bye. Now, in the case of 2020, they also have home field advantage, which is pretty exciting. Home field is everything for this Packers team, for this specific Packers team. Now, in the past, in 2010, 2014, the Packers haven't been reliant on home field advantage. They've been able to go on the road and win in the playoffs. They did it in 2010 en route to a Super Bowl. And they did it in 2014, too. They just couldn't hold on at the end. They didn't lose that game because they were in Seattle. They lost that game because Brandon Bostick couldn't catch an onside kick. And Morgan Burnett gave up 40 yards of field position on a... On a we don't need to get into it. We talk about the fake field goal. We talk... They essentially won in Seattle. They did not lose there because they didn't have home field advantage. They lost because they played like a bunch of idiots in the fourth quarter. There have been previous iterations of this Packers team not super reliant on home field. I feel differently about this team. I think home field is everything for this Packers team, even without fans in the stands. Because I think this Packers team feeds off of energy and positivity and momentum. Maybe unlike any Packers team I've ever seen. right? And and, and that's a double-edged sword because when they're at home, and the energy's good, and things are trending in the right direction, and everything's clicking, this Packers team is nearly impossible to beat. And we saw that on Sunday night. When the running game's going, the passing game's going, when Aaron Rodgers is feeling good and they can front run, that team's impossible to beat. When this Packers team is playing their best, they can beat anybody. They're really, really good. The problem is when they have a little bad luck, a little bit of sand gets stuck in the filter, right? Just the tiniest little thing, team can get knocked off course a little bit. I think playing on the road has something to do with that. Playing at Lambeau is everything, especially after that confidence-boosting win over the Titans. 
The Packers should feel even more confident about playing at Lambeau. They should want to play in the snow and the cold because look at what they did to the Titans. They put together their best four-quarter effort in the last two years in the snow at Lambeau. Why would you not want to fight for the opportunity to play more games at Lambeau in the postseason? It makes sense. Home field advantage and playing at Lambeau is really, really important for this Packers team. Now, what about some potential matchups in the postseason? I, I want to know what wild card team we want to avoid because the Packers, the Saints, the Seahawks, and the Buccaneers have all clinched. Saints are very good. I would love to play the Saints in the cold. The Seahawks are are pretty good. I would like to avoid the Seahawks just because I, I, I just don't want to deal. I don't want to deal with that. I would t- I would like to avoid the Buccaneers as well. Those are the best teams, the teams that have already clinched. But what about the wild card teams? We're talking about a potential first round matchup, maybe after the first round by. So it'd be a second round matchup. Who do we want to avoid? The the Rams looked really scary two weeks ago. But now Jared Goff just has kind of looked like booty. He looks really, really limited. And now he's injured, too, to boot. The way the Packers got after Ryan Tannehill, who's to say they can't get after Jared Goff like that and turn him into a, a college quarterback? Because that's how he's looked. I like Jared Goff. When he's cooking and when he's playing well and everything's going well, he is an insanely accurate and efficient quarterback. But when the slightest problem comes up, he he is he is worse than bad. I'm not terrified of the Rams if they make it in. Now, Kyler Murray scares me a little bit just because I have flashbacks of, of Colin Kaepernick playing for the 49ers running everywhere. I'd like to avoid a running quarterback. I would like to avoid that situation just, just based off previous history the last decade. Packers fans, what do we think about a rematch with Chicago in the playoffs? Say the Packers win this week. And the Bears get in. Or let's say the Packers lose this week and the Bears get in. What are our thoughts about a rematch? A third game against Chicago in one year. Now, we've had a few divisional playoff games in the last decade. And what's funny, I looked up playoff history for Packers-Bears. And I figured it was this long history. Lots of matchups throughout the decades. No, not at all. I was shocked to find out that the Packers and the Bears have only made the playoffs in the same year four times. Not matched up in the playoffs. They've only been uh, playoff teams at the same time four times in their 100-plus year history, which blows my mind. It just goes to show the dark stretches the Packers have gone through and and the Bears as well. Now, in 1941, the Packers and the Bears matched up in the postseason. The Bears won. And in 2010, they did so again. Maybe the biggest game in the history of that rivalry, which, looking back, I'm really glad I was alive to witness that over the course of the last 100 years. That's pretty cool to be living in a time where we can watch the Packers and the Bears play in the NFC Championship game. And, of course, the Packers advanced to the Super Bowl, and the rest is history. Same with the Vikings. They've only met the Vikings twice in the playoffs. One and one. They've split the games. The Packers won the latest matchup 24-10 in 2013. I think that was the Joe Webb game. I think that was when they sat Christian Ponder to play Joe Webb, and, well, of course, it didn't end well for the Vikings. Divisional matchups in the playoffs are rarer than I thought. I would like to avoid it. Because at this moment, especially if the Packers have home field advantage, I think the Packers are better than the Saints, the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, the Rams, the Cardinals, the whoever comes out of the NFC East, the football team. I think the Packers are a better team on a neutral field and especially at home against all these teams. I would like to avoid complicating factors. Like, oh, this team knows you well. You know, the Bears, it's tough to beat a team three times. I just, I'd like to avoid that. Because I think the Packers are good enough to beat anybody and I don't want to muddy it up by bringing a a divisional rival into Lambeau Field for the postseason. Don't need that. Let's take a break. Talk about this divisional rival, the Chicago Bears. I was casually listening to the Bill Michaels show today, and Radio Joe, who's filling in, had a guest on from the score in Chicago, Mark Grody, 
And he said some things that made my ears perk up. Uh, he made some comments that I felt the need to dig into and research a little bit. Uh, I, I think this Bears team is, it's, it's not a puzzle. It's not an enigma. I think this Bears team is really easy to figure out. If they're good or if they're bad, I, I think this Bears team is very, very transparent. And I will explain why. I'll explain the research that I did and what I found coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for being here. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. I don't know if it's that official. I'm I am I'm in charge of this uh, circus every night talking Wisconsin sports. Going to hear from AJ Dillon, who had his Packers debut and a pretty impressive one at that, had like 120 yards. We'll hear from him coming up in 15 minutes. And I'm also going to argue that this is the best the Big Ten has been in basketball since uh, 2013. The, the 2012 to 2014 window, I believe, is the golden age, the gilded age of Big Ten basketball. I will explain that to you. We'll talk more about that and talk about the Badgers. Although they lost to Maryland last night, I'm not really losing sleep over that game. Yeah, they were nine and a half point favorites, but Big Ten's good this year. Not losing sleep over that loss. We'll talk Badgers, Big Ten basketball coming up near six o'clock or uh, five o'clock. Excuse me. Oh, we're talking about the Bears right now. Kicking around some potential playoff scenarios, especially before week 17. The one seed is to be decided. Home field, first round bye, all that jazz. And I was casually listening to the Bill Michaels show today. Our our good friend, Radio Joe, was filling in for Bill today. And I didn't hear a whole lot, but I did hear a little bit. He had a guest on from The Score in Chicago, Mark Grody. And I was intrigued, so I turned my music down. Normally when I'm working in the afternoon, I listen to music and maybe listen to a little bit of Bill's show or you know, whatever, maybe find a podcast or something. And I turned my music down. I was like, okay, a Bears guest. Interested to hear what he has to say. I can't miss this. This would be a good preview, little little context, little inside info, because I know we were going to talk about the Bears tonight. So I turned the music down and listened to this interview, and I heard a couple of key points. Um, two points to be specific. Number one, that Mitchell Trubisky is playing better. He's playing a lot better since the Packers have played the Bears The last time Mitch Trubisky is a different quarterback. He is dealing. He's playing better. He's moving more. And he is making better decisions, throwing the ball more accurately. Mitchell Trubisky. Point number one. The other point I heard is that the offensive line is playing better. Well, they've reconfigured some things, moved guys around, and they've really figured out a way to protect Mitch Trubisky. And and this offensive line is a different offensive line than the last time the Packers played the Bears just a couple weeks ago. The general sentiment of the entire interview from uh, one Mark Grody from the score General sentiment, this is a different Bears team. It's a different team. Packers fans, this is a different Bears team. Different than the team that lost. Um, check my notes here. What was the score? Oh, yeah, 40, 41 to 25. Lost to the Packers a couple of weeks ago. Different Bears team. Hardly will even recognize them on Sunday when they lace them up at Soldier Field for a very, very meaningful game in Week 17. I find the sentiment to be a little funny. Right, I, I find the idea that this is a different Bears team. That Mitchell Trubisky is a different quarterback. This offensive line is different. They figured it out. I, I find that sentiment to be I find that sentiment to be kind of crap. Is that the right word for it? That's crap. I, I I find the idea that well, the Bears have won three in a row. This is a different team. No, they're not a different team. They've won three in a row. That does not mean they're a different team. Mitchell Trubisky is the same quarterback that he's been for the last couple of years. The Bears' offensive line is still no good. 
Bill Lazor might be calling plays differently than Matt Nagy, but it doesn't take much to improve over Matt Nagy. I don't really know what he was doing there at the end. Running outside option plays to Cordero Patterson on fourth and one to the short side of the field. The, the, the sentiment that this is a all is a different Bears team. I don't, I don't buy into that. And I did 20 minutes worth of research today to basically disprove this entire point. This Bears team, since week one, has been the same team. They weren't a good team at the beginning, and then they got bad, and now they're better. They didn't start the year hot and then cool off, and now they're hot again. No, no, no. This team has been the same team since week one. It's the same thing with the Vikings. Vikings win a couple of games. People lose their mind. Oh, it's a playoff team. This is it. Dalvin Cook might be the MVP. It's a playoff team, everyone. No. They just won a couple of games. Right? The Bears started the season 5-1. and one. Very impressive. I remember at the time I said that they're frauds. They're full of it. Um, quite obnoxiously, I, I believe I said they were frauds at 5-1. and one. And in that 5-1 and one stretch to start the year, they should have lost to the Lions. They got really lucky. Should have lost to the Falcons. But then again, the Falcons pulled against everybody. They barely beat the Giants. And they barely beat the Panthers. That's how they started their season. Through those five wins... Lions, Giants, Falcons, Panthers, and Buccaneers. Just an impressive win, don't get me wrong. They started 5-1. and one. The combined records now, today, of those five teams that they beat, 29-46. and 46. 17 games under 500. That, and that number is buoyed by Tampa Bay that's 10-5. and five. Detroit's 5-10. and 10. The Giants, 5-10. and 10. Atlanta, 4-11. and 11. Carolina, 5-10. and 10. That was the start of their season. That's the teams that they beat. And then they cooled off. They lost six in a row and they lost themselves. Okay, their six-game losing streak. They beat the Rams. Or excuse me, their six-game losing streak, they lost to the Rams. Lost to the Saints. Lost to the Titans. Lost to the Vikings. Lost to the Packers. Lost to the Lions. They lost six games in a row. The combined records of those six teams that the Bears lost to, 53-37. and 37. It's a 16 uh, 16 games above 500. I'm doing the mental math in my head. And that included the 6-9 and nine Vikings and 5-10 and 10 Lions. Yuck! Lost to some bad teams over the course of those six games. It's not, that they, it's not that they started as a good team and then they fell off a cliff. They started playing bad teams and then they played good teams. They went 5-1 and one and then they went 0-6. By the way, when they started 5-1... and one, their average margin of victory over teams like the Lions, Giants, Falcons, Panthers, their average margin of victory was four points. Right? We, we rip on the Chiefs because they haven't covered a spread in, in months. I don't know if the Chicago Bears have ever covered a spread this season. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Probably against the Jags. They blew out the Jags big time. Now they have won three in a row. And uh, you Chicago Bears people, you want to tell me that they, this is a different team. This is a different team since the last time the Packers played them. Oh, really? This Bears team has won three in a row. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans, and the Minnesota Vikings. Houston's four and eleven. Minnesota's six and nine. Jacksonville's one and fourteen. The combined records of those three teams over their three and zero stretch: eleven and thirty-four. Look, folks, this isn't hard, right? Sometimes teams start to win because their schedule gets easy. Sometimes they start to lose because their schedule gets harder. And this idea that the Bears all of a sudden have their offensive line figured out. Look, if you have four or five bad offensive linemen, moving them to another spot on the line is not going to fix the issue. I know the Bears, they're probably inspired watching Elton Jenkins move around. Now, Elton Jenkins is a good lineman. You can't just do that with, can't do that with anyone. Jason Spriggs is playing a significant role for the Bears on the offensive line right now. 
Oh, they figured it out. They're protecting Mitch Trubisky. No, Jacksonville's 30th in sacks per game. Minnesota's 26th. Houston is 18th. This, this isn't hard. Now, the Bears might put together a Herculean effort. The ball might bounce their way. Maybe they get a call or two. Those things happen in football. But, but the idea that this is a different Bears team and they're all of a sudden going to surprise the Packers because they've figured everything out, no. I don't, I don't buy into that one bit. Let's take a break here from A.J. Dillon and talk about Badgers basketball as well. Fun Wisco Sports Show tonight. Don't miss any of it. Stay right here. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Text the show if you'd like, 608 796 2558. That's how you can get in touch with me. We're going to talk Badgers basketball, Big Ten basketball, too, coming up in about 15 minutes. I think we are living in a golden age of Big Ten basketball right now. This season is going to be so much fun. I think college basketball is much better when the Big Ten is better. Because I think that the Big Ten plays to the strengths of college basketball. College basketball isn't always about NBA superstar players. College basketball is about players earning their way over the course of a couple of years and buying into a coach in a system like Greg Gard or Tom Izzo or John Beeline, right? Back in the day when John Beeline still coached Michigan. And I think the Big Ten reflects that attitude. Wisconsin, Michigan State, Michigan, at times Ohio State, this year Illinois and Iowa, Right, Players that may or may not make the NBA, but that are still really, really fun to watch. That's the Big Ten, and that's what makes college basketball great. So I think college basketball and the Big Ten handshake, right? They go hand in hand. I want to talk about that coming up in about 10 or 12 minutes. We didn't talk about A.J. Dillon a ton yesterday. Mentioned him briefly here and there. And it was, look, it was hard not to mention him, right? Even if we didn't do a whole segment talking about A.J. Dillon, still very noteworthy. He had twice the amount of carries of Aaron Jones. He had 121 yards, some really, really impressive strong runs on third and fourth and short, and two touchdowns as well. That's a tough debut to beat. 21 carries, 124 yards, along of 30. He had a really, really good debut, and we didn't dwell on him yesterday. We didn't do any long rants about A.J. Dillon, but we mentioned him here and there. It's a pretty crazy story. A rookie finally getting a real debut 16 weeks into the season. Like, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was drafted by the Chiefs. He was making moves right away, right? Jonathan Taylor, much of the same. A.J. Dillon's been stuffed on the bench all season, much to the chagrin of a lot of Packers fans. And then randomly he goes for 120 yards 16 weeks into the season. And what makes the story even crazier is that Packers fans have been talking about this possibility for weeks, right? Ever since September, we've been saying, well, wait until it's cold and snowy at Lambeau, then they'll get A.J. Dillon. And they actually did. Like it actually worked out that way. Sports are awesome. Sports, sometimes I just, I tweeted this the other morning. Like, I, I can't believe we got a snow game on Sunday night. Sports are the best. I can't believe this A.J. Dillon story actually played out like we all thought it was going to. Sports are, sports are the best. Let's hear a little bit from A.J. Dillon. He spoke after the game, as he should, coming out party. Started his press conference by calling his weight, calling his, uh, his time off due to COVID a blessing in disguise. You know, this entire time has been a blessing in disguise. Uh, obviously, I've had some time to be behind guys like Jamal and Aaron and, you know, just I, I've taken so much from them and the coaches and everything. And, you know, my time being able to watch them, I feel like has really helped me, uh, you know, uh, with my development. So, you know, I, I find it a blessing in disguise for sure. And, 
you know, today was unbelievable. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's it's interesting to hear him talk about, you know, missing time because of COVID, almost like a red shirt. It's like I, I had time to sit back and learn and, and watch the other guys. And Williams and Jones have to be great resources for a young running back, right? Williams does all the things that rookies should want to work on, pass protection and pass catching, right? And A.J. Dillon made a couple good snags last night. Even if the play didn't go anywhere, he showed off his hands a little bit. Jamal Williams is a great running back to learn from because rookies come in, they might have the vision, might have the strength, the speed, but you got to get the details down, the pass catching and the pass protection. Jamal Williams, great resource for that. And Aaron Jones, much of the same. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon may seem like really different running backs. There's not a lot of overlap, and there's not much that A.J. Dillon can take away from Aaron Jones. You know, A.J. Dillon's combine 40 time was faster than Aaron Jones. A.J. Dillon can hoof. That man can move. So watching Aaron Jones, how he can accelerate and hit the hole and and get around the edge, there's a lot to be learned from Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones from A.J. Dillon. And on the possibility that Jones and Williams are both gone next year, how valuable will this year be for A.J. Dillon as he takes over as the feature back or one of the feature backs? If, If Jones and Williams are gone, the Packers get two or three more guys because that's how they operate. Maybe it's Dexter Williams. Maybe they draft someone. Maybe they bring someone in. But what an invaluable year. And, and some really great homework, learning pass protection and pass catching from Jones and Williams and, and, and watching the running style of Jones because Dylan and Jones are not as different as you might think. Well, Williams and, and Dylan are a little bit more physical than Jones, but Jones can, Jones can bang around. He can, he can hit a body. And A.J. Dillon's a lot faster than you think. And talking about speed, by the way, how perfect is this, right? How about that breakaway touchdown on that fourth and one run? A.J. Dillon was asked about that run and he was asked if he surprised the safety uh, showing off the wheels getting into the end zone. I, I haven't had a chance to see it, um, but just on what I kind of remember, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I kind of sneak up on people uh, that I got a little bit of speed being as big as I am. So, uh, you know, we always uh, harp on all running backs pretty much, you know, make the first guy miss. Uh, don't go don't go down on first contact. So uh, when I made the first guy miss and I saw me one-on-one against the safety, all I was thinking is go score. And, uh, you know, it ended up in my favor. So, you know, that was awesome. It seems to happen quite a bit on third and one, fourth and one, where everyone's packed in. If the running back can just sneak through to the other side, you see big breakaway ones uh, quite a bit in those scenarios. First and 10, second and 10, you don't often see running backs exploding into the, the secondary. But on third and one, it's really easy. If you can just make that one man miss, as A.J. Dillon did, you know, all of a sudden you're into the secondary. I loved this next question because it connects with me and what we've been talking about on this show. A.J. Dillon was asked about Aaron Jones and the big run that he had in the first possession of the third quarter and the jolt that it provided to the offense. Big plays. Big plays. Yes. Oh, that was awesome, man. I mean, you know, another guy, you know, playing at the top of the top of the class when you think about running backs in the league, you know, obviously pro bowler, you know, great role model, him and Jamal for me. And uh, I can't, I can't really – pay dividends to how much they've helped me out. So, you know, I'm I'm cheering for them just as much as I'm hyped for me. And uh, I saw him break that run. I was like, come on, come on, stay in bounds at first. And then I was like, oh, let's, let's beat him. Um, but, you know, that was awesome. And that definitely fired everybody up coming out. And, uh, you know, they, they make, like, uh, we have people who make plays like that. And, you know, the list goes on and on. You look at the vets we got and the big crazy things that they do. And sometimes I'm just like, <laughs> But, um, you know, that was obviously uh, 
uh, awesome play. Big plays are important. Say with me. Big plays, big plays, big plays, home run plays. Yes, yes, yes. Very important. And that big run by Aaron Jones spurred the energy, spurred that big drive, got the offense moving down the field and kind of woke them up after halftime. Because who knows? If the Packers punt the ball away there, it's a 19-14 game. The Titans have the ball, and I'm freaking out. The Packers are freaking out. Fans are freaking out. But instead, Aaron Jones says, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. He did the same thing in the Philly game. When Philly started to make a comeback, Aaron Jones says, enough of this. Enough of this messing around. I'm going to take one 70 yards. Yeah, and I know he stepped out on the sideline. But even if he did step out and they pull it, what, back another 20, 30 yards, still a big play, still goes in that category. And that that provides some energy. That provides some uh, a jolt. That's what the reporter said, I believe. And I don't remember which reporter asked that question, but I thought it was a really pertinent one that I wanted to discuss. Okay, uh, two more, maybe one more. We'll see if we have time. Let's, let's talk about COVID. A.J. Dillon was asked about getting COVID something that played a big role in his season and shaping the trajectory and his playing time and exactly what he's been able to do and, and what he hasn't been able to do. He spoke on how that affected him for a month and a half. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, like I said, I'll be the poster boy for COVID is a real deal. Um, you know, it affects everybody differently, uh, for sure. And uh, so, you know, you can't really just, like one person may have no symptoms, somebody uh, might have uh, very serious symptoms and, uh, you know, not to go too much in myself, but for me, it was a hard process. One, just being away from the game. Uh, I'm pretty sure, or I actually know that Vikings game up to that point was my best game. And so I was kind of, you know, feeling like I was getting in my groove. And so that was a major setback uh, for me personally. Um, but in that time, obviously I was down for a little bit, but I had so much support, uh, so much support from my teammates, my coaches, the staff here, uh, the community out here. And obviously my family and friends back home. And so I feel like that, you know, everybody keeping me in great spirits kind of brought me back to it. And, you know, I took a lot of time to, like I said, study those guys, watch Aaron and watch them all and, and watch what they're doing on a daily basis and try to figure out how, how can I, you know, kind of practice like a pro, prepare like a pro. And, you know, obviously nothing's perfect. I'm not there yet, but I feel like it definitely gave me that time to, you know, kind of sharpen my skills and really focus in on, the, the important things of being a pro. He almost talks about 2020 as a redshirt year for himself. And it's something we have in college a lot, right? When players not physically ready to go yet, needs to do a little bit of developing, need to adapt to the college lifestyle. And I don't mean partying, drinking, and come on, come on. No, I, I mean, you know, your schedule. You're off on your own. You're living in your own place, paying for rent. You got to schedule time to get food and, and schedule time to study. Like, it's an adjustment. And I'm sure there's an adjustment when a player comes into the NFL as well, even if it's, you know, with a couple million bucks in your hand, in the case of a young draft pick or young first or second round player, it's still an adjustment. And this red shirt year, quote unquote, seemed to be pretty productive as he learned from Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. One last question. Derek Henry, the running back that he was compared to most when he was coming into the draft and when he was taken by the Packers, he was asked, was tonight a little bit extra special, knowing that Derrick Henry was the other running back on the other sideline? Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I don't. Uh, you know, that's somebody uh, I've studied so much of his film. Uh, obviously, respect a ton, uh, especially being, like, bigger backs. And obviously, like you mentioned, constantly being compared um, throughout my time at BC and the Combine and uh, even now. And so, you know, uh, this guy, like, being a Russian king two years in a row, uh, obviously, um, big respect to him and, just to kind of be in the same talking point, uh, you know, it, it's a huge honor. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking to get better, but it's, 
it was it was obviously a really fun experience for me. But yeah, I mean, I respect the heck out of that guy, and uh, I'm constantly watching his film to figure out ways to get better. That's got to be really cool. Imagine being 18, 19, 20 years old, watching an NFL player trying to model your game, and then one night you're matched up against that player and A.J. Dillon. I'm, I'm not going to say he outperformed Derrick Henry. He had more yards. I, I, it's not what I want to make it about, right? He was on the same field competing and succeeding against somebody who he's modeled his game after. That's really, really cool. And Derrick Henry is such a fascinating player. He's an old-fashioned, physical running back. Those don't really exist anymore, and it was... That type of player who's getting MVP love this year makes it even more interesting. And Sunday night showed that you need help around a running back like that, right? The Titans, without much around Derrick Henry, they just have a bruising running back. The Packers had Devontae Adams, great offensive line, defense played well, and then you're able to use that physical running back, and there's not much the other team can do about it. Let's take a break. I want to talk about Big Ten basketball and why I think we are living in a golden era. Not the golden era. That was about a decade ago. I'll I'll explain. I'll put it all into perspective it'll all make sense coming up next year on the wisco sports show wisco sports show rolling on thanks for hanging out Thanks for being here. Hope your week is coming along nicely. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Text the show at 608-796-2558. We're going to get back into the Packers, talk about the playoff scenarios, and hear just a little bit from Aaron Rodgers after 5 o'clock. But right now I want to talk college basketball. And i very, very excited to do this today. And I almost stuck this segment at 4.30 so we'd have a little bit more time. But I tried to stay on schedule, so we have like nine full minutes to discuss this now. Because this is something that I very much enjoyed talking about uh, and had a very good time thinking about and researching and reading about. I had a good time. The Big Ten is in an amazing spot. And I talked about yesterday that Wisconsin-Michigan State was one of the best college basketball games I've seen in years. The Christmas Day game. One of the best regular season college basketball games I've seen in years. It didn't have a buzzer beater. It didn't have some crazy review at the end. Didn't need it. It was just... Two really solid teams trading tough buckets, playing tough defense, and executing, making their free throws down the stretch. That's what college basketball is supposed to be. And naturally, after that happened, the Badgers lose last night as nine-and-a-half-point favorites. They lose to Maryland, who wasn't even ranked. They lost 70-64. to 64. I That's college basketball. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to lose sleep over this. It's really not that big of a deal. Last night doesn't really change my opinion of the Badgers. You, you got to execute. We knew that, right? They missed a lot of their free throws. They were 8-15 of 15 from the line. It's not going to cut it, right? If they make all their free throws, they win last night. It's as simple as that. And Maryland got hot in the second half. They scored on 16 of their final 18 possessions. That's that's all it takes, right? That's how you lose a college basketball game in the Big Ten, especially this year. The Big Ten is excellent in 2020-2021. It's going to be really fun to watch. College basketball is better when the Big Ten is great because the Big Ten at its best is college basketball at its best. Right, Big-name coaches, big-name programs that take middle-of-the-road recruits, no-name guys. They don't take the Zion Williamsons of the world. right? They don't take the R.J. Barretts of the world, the Blue Collar Academy kids. They recruit kids, they groom them into the system, and then by their junior, senior year, they're ready to contribute, and these teams are really, really good. And oftentimes you see these teams, John Beeline and his Michigan Wolverines, great example. Those are the teams that fare really well in the tournament, and they fight all their way you know, to a national title or to a Final Four or something like that. Michigan team with Mo Wagner as its best player made it to a national championship game. 
That's what's great about the Big Ten. It's what's great about college basketball. And I think in this moment in 2020, 2021, we're experiencing a Big Ten renaissance. Right? And I think the golden age of Big Ten basketball was 2012 to 2014. And I will fight anybody on this. Right? I What I really want to do is have Zach Heilpern on and hit him with this. Right? Have, have somebody to talk Badgers basketball and hit him with this idea. I think the golden age, if you were to write the history books, if you were teaching AP uh, Big Ten history, advanced placement Big Ten basketball history, if that was a high school course, the golden age, right? The, the United States, the world had the gilded age. The golden age for Big Ten basketball was 2012 to 2014. That two, three-year window, I, the Big Ten, was it was unhinged. It almost wasn't fair. That's how good it was. Saturday afternoons during the conference season, they, they were can't-miss TV because you'd have Ben Brust knocking in half-quarters. Michigan's great. Michigan State is great. You, you go back and you look at all these teams and their records in the years 2012 to 2014. Oh, it was like 39-6, and six, you know, you know, 40-5. and five. It was just single-digit losses every year. These teams were really, really good. And Wisconsin was great during this era. And naturally, they got better the year after 2014 to 2015, and the rest of the Big Ten tailed off a little bit. Michigan State was still great, but Michigan kind of had a lull, and then they came back in, in recent years and, like I said, made a national title. We are experiencing a Big Ten renaissance right now. However, the gold standard was set in 2012 to 2014. Listen to some of these names. I went back and did the research. It was a tidal wave of nostalgia this afternoon. Michigan was Michigan was the, the best example of great Big Ten basketball at this time. Listen to all these NBA players that went on. They were great college players, but then also went on to be contributors, solid players in the NBA. Glenn Robinson III, Karis LeVert, who can bang. Karis LeVert, Karis LeVert is a hooper. Nick Stauskas, Mitch McGarry. Mitch McGarry never did the NBA thing, but just a classic, classic college basketball player. Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway Jr. That backcourt was awesome. Tim Hardaway Jr. and Trey Burke, oh. That's that's college basketball. That's what college basketball is supposed to be. Michigan State in this time window as well. They didn't put very many players into the NBA like maybe Michigan did. And and those all players, those are role players, right? Tim Hardaway Jr., Karis LeVert, Glenn Robinson, those guys are going to be in the NBA for a while because they can play a role and be very good in that role. Michigan State at this time period had Adrian Payne. Remember him? Travis Trice, Denzel Valentine, Matt Costello. Remember Matt Costello? Matched up with the Badgers in a couple of Big Ten championship games in the tournament. Gary Harris came out of this era of Big Ten basketball as well, and he's hooping in the NBA. Right? Michigan, Michigan State were great, but some of these other teams had great players and great teams as well. Indiana had Yogi Ferrell, Cody Zeller, Victor Oladipo. That's just that's just a classic vintage of Big Ten basketball. Maryland, Mellow Trimble was just arriving. So I, I can't necessarily lump Mellow Trimble into this era. I think he was a freshman in 2014, if I remember correctly. I think he was just coming in as this era was ending. I'm going to count it, though. Mellow Trimble. Jock Peterson was really good. Once again, a couple of years later. But, you know, even the greatest eras, they linger for a little bit. Mellow Trimble and, and the Maryland Terps lingered for a little bit. Ohio State had Aaron Kraft. You know, talk about classic Big Ten basketball players. It's very similar to Brad Davison in, in the way that I think he's actually... Been at Wisconsin for eight years. Aaron Kraft, I think, played at Ohio State for like 10 years. Not sure how, but he did. Iowa, Jarrett Utoff was just getting started too. So Mellow Trimble and Jared Utoff were on the way in. And then you have this laundry list of players. And this window for Wisconsin 10 years ago or eight years ago now 
was just tremendous. The, just the list of great players. Ben Brust, Nigel Hayes, Trayvon Jackson, Duye Dukin, who went on to be an NBA player, and no one wants to pay respects to Duye. Everybody talks about Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky, and yeah, they were great. They were there too. We, we, we know their story. I think it's time that Duye Dukin's story is properly told. Great player for the Badgers, great tournament run, and I'm pretty sure he was with the Kings for a while. I think he's overseas now, but he a cup of coffee, cup of coffee in the NBA. Josh Gosser, one of the best Wisconsin Badgers of all time. Bronson Koenig, who I, my personal favorite Badger ever. Killer at Aquinas, killer with the Badgers. There are few basketball players in the NBA or in college that I enjoy watching more than I enjoyed watching Bronson Koenig. Baller. Man could bang. And then, of course, Zach Showalter, Mike Bruzewitz, Jared Berger. The list just keeps, it keeps going, 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 going. The golden era of Big Ten basketball in the early 2010s, early to mid-2010s. And I think this current iteration of the Big Ten is the closest thing that we've got. Oh, by the way, to get my Johnny Davis mention in there, uh, Evan Flood pointed this out last night. I've never retweeted a tweet so faster. The Badgers lost last night and really, really struggled, but they were plus 10 with Johnny Davis on the floor. Just, you know, something to... Something to ponder, something to think about. Johnny Davis is playing starter quality basketball. We'll see if they start to bump his minutes. And once again, I, I'm not, I'm not claiming that he should start because I don't really know who they take out of the starting lineup. Um, now closing, it's a different story, right? Playing starter quality minutes, that's a different story. Johnny Davis been really, really, really good, and even when they play poorly, he's typically shown up. Still, a little bit of everything. I, I can't wait to see what he does as they kind of expand his role. And bump his playing time probably as the season rolls on. Let's take a break. We'll get back into the Packers, get back into the NFL coming up next. We're going to hear from Aaron Rodgers. And we're going to talk about the Packers secondary. Because why not? It's a great group. They're fun to talk about. And we'll think back to 2010 just a little bit too. I want to talk about Tremont Williams. All that coming up after 5 o'clock here on the Wisco Sports Show. (laughs) 